Theory Podcast. Boom! What's up, people? Welcome to Creative Theory Podcast, the show the show that brings you conversations with visual artists about how they got to where they got, what their day to day is like, what their struggles are, thoughts in the art world, and a lot, a lot more. Today, in an actual studio, in a real space, with another person sitting across from me, uh, we got an internationally exhibited painter with shows and projects uh, in galleries in spaces such as uh, Think Space Gallery, uh, Pow Wow, a band gallery, just to name a few. On top of that, uh, he also acted as visual creator for TEDx Vancouver 2014 and 2015, uh, Skookum Festival 2018. Also, he's a founder of SNAG, which is a weekly live painting exhibition focused on illuminating Vancouver's alternative arts and culture. And he also currently acts as a curator and artistic director for the Vancouver Mural Festival. Oof. Andrew Hi. Young, welcome, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Uh, we did it. It's a very big one, man. Yeah. We tried, we tried doing it for, uh, for a very long time. Yeah, nailed down in the twelfth hour. Uh, because I am moving. It. Although you know, in the days of Zoom, you can certainly do it, but this is the best way. You can definitely do it. And I feel like you and I uh, tried doing this. I think I, I remember. I mean, we tried probably doing a podcast together for like three or four times. There's one time before you went to Pow Wow, I think. And I remember you planning and you doing a print and I think you're going to go, or maybe the print was after, but then you came back and I think it was just, you're, you're busy and I, I guess I'm busy and we just, uh, to line up was so difficult. But one thing, um, historically full of excuses, nah, man. But every time I think about, uh, doing this uh, with you and looking back on it, it feels like we would have had a completely different conversation every single time. Like in the past, let's say three, four years, if I caught you at a certain moment, it would be, I think it would be very different. Do you feel like that? Well, there'd be a through line of white knuckled anxiety. <laughs> uh, but I suppose what I'd be working on would be probably drastically different than, than whatever I was uh, tackling, you know, a couple months beforehand. Mm -hmm. But I think I find now the last two years and especially the last 18 months have really been exclusively like painting and murals and then really just sort of like filing down my role at uh, Vancouver Mural Festival and just kind of like focusing on the kind of things that I excel at in that environment and steer away from the things that I find frustrating and like, you know, the, the death of a thousand paper cuts. So, you know, pound, counting the amount of uh, doubles of red somebody has for their mural to make sure that one the supplier is making it and two the artist is like got you know the opacity of their colors up like those days are in the past finally <laughs> <laughs> did you when did you consciously catch yourself like when did you realize you're doing that too much like you're instead of painting? always yeah but it's a matter of the team and david and Andrea and Adrian really sort of like seeing what I enjoy and what I excel at and eventually, you know, having an organization that can kind of accommodate that. But you don't always get to accommodate, you know, the special skills up top. I mean, I'm really well versed when it comes to executing that kind of thing. So it does make sense for me to be in the paint room just checking over things. But as, you know, as more of our team members become more and more um, senior in their production roles, I can totally step away from that. Um, plus, I find my bandwidth now is uh, getting a lot more limited, so I can't really like be focusing on that. Um, nor do I want to. <laughs> but so then, uh, I guess it sounds like it worked out both ways, as in they realized 
where your time could go and you you kind of knew where your time should have been directed anyways mm-hmm. was it like a, did it feel like a sacrifice then for the time being of like i can do this but it's probably not my love as far as like counting paints like i'm, I said. I'm too thick-headed to see a, f- a far ahead like that so it just kind of was the thing that i had to had to do at the time i guess do, do, do you wonder if it didn't change then like what if it kept going um then probably my attitude towards facilitation would be a little bit more aggressive yeah. and not so fun as it is now. Yeah. Um, I wasn't going to jump into this right away, but I think since we were talking uh, about this, um, because, you know, at the top of the show, I mentioned all the things you've been involved in and not all of them uh, mm-hmm. have been painting because you've been pushing for Vancouver art scene and culture uh, very um, heavily. And I think that was taking up a lot of time, uh, yeah. not just that. And I suppose you're doing it, well, I mean, you can answer that, but like for yourself, but also it is for the community. Yeah. But how much of that um, was a conscious decision to start? Or at a certain point, did it become that and you just did it naturally? I think it happens naturally because there isn't, I mean, when we think back about 2012 to 2014 we were mucking around at least like on the fine art side of things with like two galleries basically or you know presenting work in more smaller spaces in the east fan i always felt hyper alienated in like high art or even just regular art gallery scenes like i i i come from like an applied arts background so speaking high concept of things isn't really like really my forte i can you know bullshit you around the block now but at the time i think it just i I felt like there wasn't something for me here so you know starting snag in 2012 over the cobalt was just you know a reason to have it was an excuse to have a place for all these sort of like misfit toys who go and hang out and then of course like that kind of snowballed um just because there wasn't a lot going on and events organizers like jordan Callan at social concierge you know saw the value that i was bringing to the arts community and having you know exposed hundreds of folks by the time i met jordan even um there yeah there was some pretty pretty cool value um being built behind the scenes but it was mostly just something i had to go and do on a wednesday (laughs) or tuesday every week and i don't know i just i guess i just got into a rhythm of of doing that and that's just what i had to do and i you know was it it was kind of serving a community but also like serving myself at the same time and giving us all um kind of the similar levels of exposure um in those early days did you have to do it though I don't know. I mean, I didn't feel obligated, mm-hmm. but I felt like I sort of had to do it. Because nobody was doing it? But also nobody was doing it for me. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I kind of make those things to in a kind of a self-serving way to, you know, have a venue for me to showcase my work and, like, you know, build a, a little uh, community of homies that I think probably felt the same way. I guess if it doesn't exist, you got to do it yourself. Because <laughs> nobody, nobody else might? <laughs> Kind of, yeah, yeah. And, like, I mean, you got to think of the time I was doing the dark narrative stuff, and there's not really, like, anywhere to go with that. Mm-hmm. We had, like, Aiden Gallery, but I don't know. It wasn't really something I participated in all that often. I wasn't getting any acclaim outside of Vancouver, let alone internationally, for the most part. You know, there's been a handful of group shows in those early days um, in the U.K., and a couple of spots in the U.S., but, like, nothing really, like, extravagant or, like, big. So 
Mm-hmm. Just got to kind of make it for myself. And then it has been quite as in like since beginning of snag and everything else, or I guess even before that, but everything else that happened, did you feel like at certain points it, it became a pressure for you to do it? Like, yes. Yeah. Like yes. For the sure. outside pressure. Um, there was a bit of that, but it also was a thing that I did every single week. So, you know, we had to curate a minimum of four people. Maybe we've got a stage thing. Uh, for the first year I was doing, you know, curation, event management, site, uh, setup, strike, and the lovely position of playing announcer and accountant at the end of the night. And, uh, yeah, I think after... Well, fortunately, I met that my, my lover boy Nick Pound, and he was he was pretty quick to jump jump in the co pilot seat with me and, and produce that event. So it, you know, cut cut the stress in half. And it also was like, you know, one of the funniest people you can just like commiserate with while doing this like yeah. this sometimes terrible event because <laughs> Tuesdays roll around so much faster than you remember the last one rolling yeah. around. So yeah, it was good to kind of like split that, but. You know, him and I working together there kind of create this, like, fun little squad of of best friends. So when TEDx rolled around, it's like I knew, you know, I had I had the guy. And same with, like, Skookum way down the years. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I would say 40% of the time it felt like an obligation because of the yeah. amount of frequency um, it, it was occurring. But, you know, there's so many badass artists here or... You know, maybe a cool sponsor comes in and they want to see a certain type of uh, activation there. You know, we brought the swing set harmonograph at one yeah, point uh, by, by Carly Stadelman and Jay Wong from TEDx2014. So when you, like, yeah, make these, like, really trippy one-off nights, and it, it definitely seems worth it. So I guess, you know, when I wasn't being a lazy bastard uh, 60% <laughs> of the time, I was trying to look at, look for finding those, like, fun, you know event uh amplifiers uh, at least gave me a, a reason to be psyched on showing up on tuesday did it at a certain point was it did it become like a vehicle for cool things that could potentially happen where it's like mm. is it like felt did it ever feel like oh, i might as well like I, I should it's worth keeping it going because every once in a while something badass happens yeah, yeah. but also i think i think that was an excuse for me to get up out of bed and head down there but you know hanging out with people like like the glowing Aaron White, you know, he's <laughs> yes. like one of the Indeed. the most you know uh, frequently attending um, and amazingly talented artists. You talk to him about it. It's like this is thank you. You know, there's a lot of gratitude that came from the scene. So it it, it yeah, I guess in a way I needed to make sure that this weird uh, alternative arts community kind of kept on trucking along. Yeah. Do you do you like routine? No, maybe with artwork, but, you know, we were just talking before uh, we jumped on here how Nick and I were doing the snag cast for a while. I could never commit to that. That's every (laughs) other Sunday. But, I mean, Sundays are a rough one to fill, and Nick and Katie So are just this, like, runaway train of hilarity that, like, I just... I didn't really feel like I had a proper spot at the table. Dude, but Tuesdays are hard to fill. You did snag for so long. I mean, that's what I'm asking. Like, it's mm. clearly to keep doing that, you need to, I mean, accept some sort of routine in there, right? The fact yeah. That, yeah. But I mean, you got to think I came out of art school a year before. So it was like, I'm still, 
you know, desperately clamoring to anything that comes across my my way to, you know, make it into a thing that I can be a part of because I didn't really feel like I had that then. How recent, actually, I never, I never thought about it. How recent were you, how recently out of school were you when we met? Because I think it was probably 2010, maybe, that we met? No. When, no? No, because we would have met at Snag or, oh, no, or Aiden, so it would have been between 2011 and 2012. Okay, and when yeah. did you graduate? 2011. No, so I actually met you very, because I, like, I met you after, and I remember looking at your work, and you did all these gigantic, insane paintings as collage, and I just, mm. yeah, I guess I didn't realize they were so recent, because you did so much, I guess that's maybe what it looked like, you did maybe. a ton of paintings. Yeah, maybe it was an old <laughs> Aiden thing. Uh, no, I met you at the show. I met you at the well, show. We definitely met at Snag. I don't know what, yeah, but yeah. I'm, I guess I'm kind of bad at tracking this time. you about your busted ass wrist at the time because <laughs> you were playing drums pretty hard or recovering from playing drums Some hardcore. While working, yeah. Yeah, That's and then you're just idea. squirting out these diabolical little watercolors. <clears throat> Thanks, man. Very pretty. Good times. <laughs> um, uh, before we leave this uh, topic of Vancouver art scene, now that we got COVID that made a big dent in it and you know also the cost of living is so insane that the galleries we had a chance to show at closed I haven't paid enough attention to know if any of them opened or, or like any new ones opened in that genre kind of like you're saying when you had to make up or make a way for yourself and others you know I don't I don't know if people call it lowbrow art but just you know uh, I like alternative contemporary there you go it's kind of a pretty simple catch-all it sounds great I mean that certainly sounds better um, like alternative metal anyways but <laughs> uh, how do you see it coming back because you know there's a lack right now of it just because can't do much but mm -hmm. do you see it coming back with a vengeance are you going to take are you going to partake in the return I think a little bit more than I had expected I've been feeling very nostalgic about it <laughs> uh, especially with Nick so I think we'll probably look at like a biannual quarterly kind of vibe and maybe move it outside of the American and just go down to the big warehouse at Ellis and do a big slamarama ding dong kind <laughs> of jammer. That's like what we really miss. And Nick's an amazing performer. So yeah. um, I think he's pretty thirsty for some of that attention as well. Um, and yeah, everyone's just kind of like, when is it coming back? You know, I had an OG snag, snag boy Arden. Meryl Ross in here. He's like, why are you going to do it? Like, and he was painting with us back in, like, 2012. And yeah, I, I get it. So, yeah, there'll be a return where I'm kind of throwing it. And then I think, you know, depending what um, Alejandro from Vancouver, our community, wants to do with it, we can, he might want to be considering, you know, something a little bit more frequent, um, like a monthly, like they were doing towards um, all the doors closed up. But... You know, we've got Pablo Zamadio in here now, and him and I threw the 100 Amigos show back in 2019, right before everything snapped, yep. and just before um, his doors closed permanently, and that was, yeah, that was a big, lovely, beautiful reminder of, you know, how, how thirsty everyone is, and how everyone is still here, and and we had like three or four hundred people in the, it was huge. the first night. It was and sweaty. It was, it was sweaty. It was crazy. We sold a ton of work. It really just, yeah, nailed down uh, that the scene is, is is here. And also, I think that must have shown that uh, in numbers how 
potentially successful these things can go. Because I think at that show, the amount of people that I saw, that I, I mean, most people I didn't know. As in, like, you know, it's usually a good sign. It's like, oh, we just invited our friends. But I feel like the location, the, I don't know, something mm-hmm. felt like there's a ton of, uh, I don't know, I don't know what happened, what you guys did there, what kind of magic you created but it, you had a lot of people coming through which yeah. is really cool to see that also there's support from the you know outside not just hey we make art here kind of for ourselves because mm-hmm. nobody cares <laughs> well i mean you got to give it up to pablo for you know creating that show mm-hmm. 10 plus years ago at, at el cartel and i think mm-hmm. i hadn't put my my greasy little mitts on a, an event for a while so it was sort of like this this combination of of cool dudes that uh, <laughs> people like to attend cool dude parties but (laughs) he recently um, this year um, introduced me to Douglas Copeland so the three of us have been kind of hanging out on the semi-frequent and Doug is really keen on uh, co-producing 100 Amigos with us so it's kind of this yeah wild crossover of, of you know alternative and you know design and fashion and more of like an older Mm-hmm. Um, contemporary scene so yeah i'm really excited to to see where that goes and we're probably looking at third week of january for it gonna size the panels and yeah just go balls to the walls on it yeah yeah That's i think be good he's he's he doesn't come from like this scene and when he came to 100 Amigos in, in December 2019, he was like, I'm fucking asleep at the wheel here. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I, who are these guys? So, yeah, was, I, That's what I was going to ask. I Because I know he's big, but I never, like, I guess the caliber maybe of that kind of artist and where they are, you know, they, they're different places, different galleries, so there's no crossover maybe. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, how much community-centered is he or people I don't know. on that level? But I think, like, his aesthetic and, like, his, the type of work that he does really lends itself to this, like, alt scene as it is. So it doesn't feel like, you know, somebody's going to come and produce this and arrange scrap pieces of tape on the wall and light them with weird light and, you know, just <laughs> alienate all our friends at the show. Like, he, he really brings something cool. And he's attracted to what... Pablo and I do um, like curatorially and and with our own practice because you know we're focused on the technical execution of things um, as deep as we can possibly get. That's pretty cool. So I guess there's ways to line up and cr- that, that's going to be pretty uh, cool. Yeah. I don't know, it just feels like uh, I don't know. Sometimes it did feel like in some ways I don't know. It was a group of artists who were separated in some ways. You know, I, I feel like. But I'm not sure why. Or I just when we're, we start talking about galleries in Vancouver, you know, there's certain ones. I just feel like, you know, every once in a while you'd go into and it feel like, man, it's just maybe different people. I'm not sure why. It's just the energy or the type of art that we'll be making. So mm-hmm. this is pretty going to be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm not really like interested in the brick and mortar thing anyway. Like I've been really self sufficient um, in a non institutional environment and. I don't know what implications that has, you know, five, ten years down the road. But it certainly made me into a stubborn prick, and I'm way more excited about doing the, the self-produced pop-up because of just full For control, sure. um, really doing what you want, choosing unique spaces, and not having to placate to gallery directors and, like, you know, 
have this other variable come in that I'm just like not interested in. That's what I was going to say. I think galleries have to work a lot more now to even retain people because you're right. Uh, almost a, a lot more. I don't know. I'm, I've been like thinking about that a lot. Um, and I won't like name names, but I do find <laughs> that there is so many artists out here and just in general because of the rise of social media and everyone, you know, being able to find a foothold in, in, in whatever, you know, artistic interest they're kind of after that I'm finding galleries just get to pick and choose successful artists without having to go through the whole fostering process as much as what I assumed it was in the past. And their system would still work because people still, if they need to consume and acquire art, still would be through a gallery, right? I think that's why mm -hmm. it, it hasn't been replaced, despite the fact that there's, you know, a lot of people are probably having a lot more sales online that they, you know, that they could five years ago, probably even. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like there's hundreds of just sellout rock stars here. And I mean, sellout shows, not sellout <laughs> artists. Yeah. I guess they're sellout artists. Yeah. There's a gallery you can just kind of pick and choose and, you know, do these group shows with people who are currently popular or, you know, there's been spots south of the border that, you know, they have a roster of 200 and 300, 500 artists who are just bangers. And so they have to put on, you know, what, 12, 18, 20 banging shows a year out of this massive roster while they're all kind of working on bodies of work. Like it just, it seems kind of kind of easy yeah yeah i guess in that sense yeah as long as you got the right people coming and the right connection you, you're just and if you build a reputation for having the cool artists come in mm -hmm. yeah i guess i don't know enough business side of uh gallery world to know but that and honestly i probably don't either i'm just kind of speaking from my own sort of like mm -hmm. hermit uh, perspective. So I'm sure I've already said a lot of things that are <laughs> wrong, but those people, words definitely resonate with me and I think about them quite often. People will have to let us know. But do you still, do you feel like uh, in that sense, because you mentioned you do prefer building your own um, pop-ups just because of control mm -hmm. uh, at that point, knowing that you're saying, you know, some of these galleries are potentially saturated with a just crazy talent. How much effort do you see yourself putting uh, in the future to try to get uh, into any of them, any of those uh, brick and mortar? Sure. Hmm? I'm not sure. No? There's been a couple of invites that came across my desk this year, and I just flat out ignored them. And I just don't have the bandwidth to engage with that. I am also doing very sophisticated work from a technical standpoint. So mm -hmm. when I start thinking about you know, doing these small bodies for, for galleries in the States, like that is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours mm -hmm. on something speculative that I receive half the money at. And having been the grasshopper who ate all his grains by October as an artist coming out of school for at least, you know, the first, God, five years were just dog shit, man. And now when these opportunities come up, like I gotta just chase after them. I don't, I can't sort of reverse that motion and, and start paying people to, to represent my work as much as some people might think I should. And the idea of just uh, slowly building up a body of work on a side, is that a question just because, like you said, it takes a lot of time? I just don't have, there's, yeah, I mean like my what 
40% of my next year is already totally booked up for commissions. That's so. pretty crazy. That's awesome, though. It's amazing. Yeah, for sure. But then I can't now spend the other 30% building a body of work and then wonder, like, who's going to phone me next year? Because you never know. Would you want to? Mm. <sighs> Only if it was figurative. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I don't have enough filthy, raunchy ideas built up just yet. There is, like, an ongoing... Uh, list in my my phone's notepad but um it would have to be somebody who yeah wanted to produce privately or really like set me off the leash and who would also sell it then right maybe no okay maybe because the interesting part to me before we go into the uh subject matter uh once you because the hard part is, like, uh, I imagine is when you, there's not a lot of work and you're struggling, you're kind of trying to take, because, you, you know, you find an opportunity that presents itself that's fun enough or fun, mm -hmm. and, you know, but the fact that you could definitely go many routes into making a living, right? Because, mm -hmm. and that's a, definitely a tricky part, I imagine, especially for being a fine artist and solo artist where it still needs to speak to you, you know, on top of being a product, it's still there's got to be an element of like satisfying the you know the path that you've chosen because otherwise you probably would have been doing something else you know in a group setting maybe I don't know just the fact that you're pursuing this path it feels like there's got to be something that comes from you so then mm -hmm. it's hard it's maybe easier to jump on some of the opportunities when you start out but then now that your next year is 40 whatever percent booked and you potentially I'm sure are getting all these other opportunities that's when it comes down to asking yourself like what would you truly like because now you have the options yeah. right like a lot more than you probably did five years ago oh yeah for sure oh man some of the jobs that i did <laughs> oh <laughs> give me one. Oh lord well i'll give you a couple i did some work for a you know a really acclaimed dominatrix uh shortly out of school i think my first year out and that was a blast it was a painting, right? Yeah. Oh, that was a good one. I think I saw it actually. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it, yeah, she was she was awesome to work with. You know, we went to her house. She's like, Yeah, you can go sniff around all my drawers and cabinets, like just <laughs> get a vibe for like what's going on here. And we created this really cool narrative that kind of like encapsulated her in this industry, but also the support of her mother and yeah, some kind of cool symbolism that um, kind of was like Easter egged within the tableau. Um, that's when I learned about sounding rods and Interesting. steel and urethros. <laughs> uh, I also had a one where this super ripped uh, Chinese model uh, was like, yo, I want to collaborate with you. Like, I kind of do photography. And, like, this must have been first two months out of school. So, like, I am all ears, bro. <laughs> and so he sends me the work that he had been doing just so I can kind of get a sense of what it is. And, you know, just huge jack dude, like, naked with a bow and arrow, like, <laughs> doing these super tweaked out you know, gestures in the middle of the forest or along a railroad. It was hilarious. And he came in for a consultation. And at the time I was working in the back of Aiden Gallery, I'd set up this cool little, my first art studio um, at a school back there. And that mall that it's in is this big vacuous, like empty space where no one goes to yet. It still somehow exists. I'm not sure what's going to happen to it. 
the mall, the gallery's long gone. So he comes in, and we're hanging out, and I'm like in the back of the back of the back of this thing, and all the lights are out except for like two (laughs) little desk lamps, and here we are on a Saturday morning, and the mall's not open, and the gallery's certainly not open. We start talking about, you know, what he wants to do, and like, well, let's talk about why you want this piece, because he wanted a painting of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, which is always a fun one to, to wrestle with. And I go, well, why do you want this, this piece of yourself? He's like, well, I uh, might be going to jail uh, in a couple of weeks. And I'm like, oh, it's a jail, hey? It was, well, I mean, we're not really, like, buds or anything yet, but, like, do you mind, like, telling me what's up he's like oh yeah murder <laughs> or manslaughter <laughs> wow and apparently it was out of self-defense but he wanted this piece to represent him now while he ages behind bars yeah wow yeah wow <laughs> did you do that painting i did do that painting yeah yeah that's a story yeah yeah that was a funny one where are those people though that's actually i, I know you like you're saying like a crazy story but it's actually kind of cool yeah i don't know what happened to him um, the Dom, she's retired. She's bought a number of works for me and moved away from the city because she just made a killing. Amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, total sweetheart. I, I really enjoyed working with her. But see, having th- said all these stories, and again, now that you're getting a lot more projects and you can actually ask yourself, I imagine, I don't know if you did before, maybe you did, but now you can ask yourself, what do I truly like and where can I go, let's say, in the next 10 years? Mm-hmm. Um, because you have that choice and, you know, uh, what would it what would it be? I don't know. Five year and ten year plans are not really uh, something that <laughs> occupy my mental space. <laughs> I mean, my life is like this crazy lottery that has you know gotten a lot more abundant and 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 lush over the years. But it's still like I have no idea. I'm so still in the throes of you know pseudo PTSD from being so financially starved um, that. Damn making those plans right now isn't um something i can do and you know as good as things are going like i'm not financially there yet to be able to drop things for half a year and build a gallery or build a body of work like that's that's not something that's um currently on my mind or uh in the land of possibilities but is that the dream then maybe the question is like mm. instead of saying what's it whatever plan um what would be the most fun to do to spend your time on Potentially without constraints. I guess mm-hmm. maybe that's a better question. Well, we had a really fun art show on Friday, didn't we? So that was <laughs> cool to remind myself that I do really enjoy doing that. Um, I don't know. I think the work that I'm doing right now is satisfying so many things that I was trying to satisfy before by in, in the realm of figurative, figurative work just because I was looking to, you know, implant these these methods of abstraction and I really wanted to move away from uh, like storytelling even though I kept forcing myself to do it because of like the who, what, where, why and why, 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 why Mm -hmm. and when I would use these like glitching or collage techniques like it really had to be cooked into like what that storytelling was and yeah I have a number of abstract homies who really enjoy what they're doing and they don't seem 
so locked down to you know being like hyper specific and more just like exploration of color shape form tension etc mm-hmm. um so yeah making that change in subject matter to florals has been definitely like satisfying that and you know you know better than i do it's like it's your job to make it interesting for yourself yeah. right so just because it's the same subject doesn't mean it's a completely and radically different piece than you know what i had designed the week before mm-hmm. yeah i like making things that are new and non-repetitive. So, and in that case, more murals or more paintings? Like out- outdoor or? In- I like indoor? both. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the physicality is awesome for murals. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, inside you have unlimited amounts of time uh, to, to yeah, create really complex, heavily layered things that, you know, you force yourself to bring in a new medium or the next layer really like okay i've gotten here before i need to destroy it i need to pick up something new and mm-hmm. uh yeah just kind of elevate where the studio practice is whereas when you're working outdoors it's like you got a time limit like there's yeah. there's a ticker on that like um, most of the work that i do involves heavy machinery so you're looking at like thousands of dollars you know every week to four weeks so you have to kind of you have to start with what you know Mm -hmm. and I will still try and do the same thing in my studio practice to find something new but I don't have as much time to really afford that kind of play Um, I think this year I had some major breakthroughs that I was like my hand was forced to learn because of having a massive team and also having production artists, I don't want the work to look like somebody else's work. So I have to one run clinics on a daily, (laughs) at least to educate people with the kind of sensibilities that I bring to the table, but they can follow that all they want. I gotta, I have to find, some miracle to drop on top of that that it like belongs to me so yeah with boza it certainly like forced me to uh communicate crystal clear and figure out what the next level or next layer the work needed in order for it to feel like authentically my own is it cliche but most likely that's where you would learn the most right like when you're under the gun yeah I think so. Have to be very creative, put in a box, so you got to get out of it. And... Yeah, and sometimes being frantic, you make like dumb, brilliant <laughs> yeah. mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like getting the most for the least. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, when yeah. you have that time crunch and you're like, well, I can't re render everything. Well, why don't we just do like mm, scumbling is the whole vibe? And then all of a sudden you have this whole new layer of texture drop onto something that's like a little bit more hyper smooth uh i guess uh, on this line of work since you're mentioning that one of the latest projects you did uh it seems like historically as artists grow they're more likely to have a team of artists that they work with right i think when you look at the big artists it's always been like whether someone is helping them prep or someone is like you know there's apprentices you know to whatever do you feel like as far as the natural progression for yourself goes that it would take you here the fact that you had a team and built it up is that just uh, I don't nature know how, of it? Is it what? Is it just the nature of it, of getting bigger projects? With the scale, yeah, yeah. for sure. 
Um, I don't know if I feel the same way with like canvases or panels or anything like that. Like I, I, we did Boza, so for everyone, it's an eleven thousand square foot pool down on Georgia Street where I had to learn how to paint with pool paint in a very short amount of time, and then we had one hundred and seventy six feet uh, by fourteen feet of a vertical wall just adjacent to it. So I assembled this awesome team of of, of real badass rock stars um, to come and paint with me during a time that all of our sort of go-to production artists of the festival were already uh, spoken for with mm-hmm. a ton of production work. So, um, yeah, it was Ox- Oksana, Gadashiva, uh, Dylan Humphreys, Sihis, Silo, uh, Arden Merrill-Ross, and Sihis. So bringing the, the graffiti technicality there, the figurative and mural experience, you know, project operations and managerial um, experience. Um, yeah, it was it was cool, but very uh, unnerving, at least for like the <laughs> first week, because we got a the city came by and gave us a cease work for two days. Fun. And when you look at seven people painting, you know, ten hour days, like it's a ton of hours, right? It was two and a half days, and it accumulated to like two hundred man hours. So the city just like put us on pause. <laughs> Uh, which was a total fucking joke. Like, you know, uh, VMF has been working with the city super closely and for some time, 16 months approximately, doing hoarding projects. They knew this stuff was coming down the line. We submitted all of the information that, you know, we've done in the past to formally uh, secure a mural permit yep. and have been nagging them to, like, figure out this whole hoarding thing because we're doing hoarding. <laughs> currently and are about to do this massive one with drew and yeah they sent a representative over and was like no this is on ice we're like well why they're like well you didn't send us the stuff I'm like you have everything and vancouver being the most diabolically bureaucratic city paralyzingly so then realized two and a half days later yeah we don't have a permit process Oh my God, EMF has been <laughs> really encouraging us to do this kind of work. Wow. Also, oh my God, Drew and two other people executed the Make Art Wallet project mm-hmm. directly with the city representatives who are controlling all of this. Wow. So we went from doing 65 projects in three weeks last year during you know the, the peak of the pandemic yeah. And then doing the same kind of work and then just kind of like changing their minds about things. Uh, and then, of course, they, they have <laughs> no guys. like formal mural permitting process. So that too was, you know, put on ice. Um, and uh, I had just been losing my mind. Like, you know, the a bunch of things were lined up for me. I had been paying out my ass for studio assistance to be doing like, you know, uh, not VMF work that I'm supposed to do, but like everything else on my end of things to make sure that I'm like hitting these, um, these schedule goals along the way. Mm-hmm. And then we get, you know, you get to put on pause. You're like, I'm just burning money this whole time. Like, what am I, what am I fucking doing? Man, it feels so irresponsible from their side. Cause it's, uh, yeah, that's unfortunate. How often does that happen? Um, I think we had a one pseudo cease work, and it, I think it was just over like safety gear with okay. Priscilla Yu, like in 2018, out in I forget the neighborhood. 
But this one was mega. It was, uh, well, especially it's terrible timing because it's also on such scale. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. hugest stuff I've ever had to paint. Big ass team that now needs to just like yeah. sit around. But yeah, I mean, they they eventually were like, yeah, game game on again, guys. <laughs> Fun. Well, you, you did it. Everyone powered through. Yeah, on a, on yeah. A, and, um, you know the whole losing 12 pounds within 10 days and having a defcon <laughs> 5 level of yeast infection that uh, i swear is still around that was that's too much physical work you're saying murals are good but yeah well we had heat wave number two yeah <laughs> in a black primed pool yeah it was that was something <laughs> <laughs> good memories for a long time for yeah. sure yeah you feel like a badass though like you know, because my setup was this huge rolling cart with, you know, six large-scale trays, each with a dedicated broom brush. Wow. So okay. you just have, like, you felt like your cloud or something from <laughs> Final Fantasy, like, painting these huge designs. Like, you felt uh, super cool. I remember, like, driving home with with uh, my girl Colleen and being like, I think my arms are, like, doing something weird. She's like, what have you done? Like, I've never seen those muscles ever. Like, no, they're just so strange. <laughs> like, these big lumps on my arm I never had before. Twitching. Yeah. With a gigantic palette. Yeah. That sounds pretty fun. It was, it was, it was and pretty also badass. Painful. I mean, what was interesting is, you know, the design of the pool was a lot simpler than the wall. The wall's such a long horizontal format that, you know, it's, you can't just drop two elements and some abstraction into it. Like you need mm -hmm. lots of content to, you know, s scatter through the entire working area. So I think I probably painted the hoarding. Like, I mean, it needed, I would say double the amount of energy that went into it, even though it was just <laughs> under, uh, like, yes, maybe 25% the scale. Just to get it to look right. No, just to have enough content on it mm. that it didn't feel like it was this empty, hollow composition. Whereas a pool, it's like, yeah, we'll do two big things and some big, huge yeah. marks. And Do you think it would have been harder to do it if it was vertical, or the fact it was flat made, flat made it easier? Mm, jury's still out on that, okay. but it's an interesting okay. question. <laughs> I hate lifts just because they can slow things down, yeah. so the juggling of gear all over could make it a bit more of a slow process but i'm not sure there was a number of days where i'm just like how do i do this <laughs> and you know by the third fourth day you're done five times the amount you've done in the first day and you're really figuring out you know how to communicate to the team you're like okay this is what my setup is this is the color way you know we need all of this gear set up a certain way so i can just execute but yeah you know three or four days before that it was just like does this guy know what he's doing? <laughs> <laughs> Do you like, are you comfortable with managing at this point? Like the, the fact that you had to split your day with, mm -hmm. I guess, painting and also managing. How, how's that? Um, it was good. I mean, there were some pinch points on it. Like, I think there's a vibe that you can find when you're working with people who just kind of get like a flat fee on things. And whereas I'm like, you, you come in with this like, hustler entrepreneurial attitude where it's like I'm not I'm not just here to work I'm here to like bang this out the best I possibly can so you know there was some some all-stars like big shout outs to Oksana and Jason um Jason McRae who just 
he had some wild breakthroughs when we were painting there. He just started seeing all the things that he hadn't seen before, like color and edgewise. And you see the, the paintings that he's working on in the studio here, and you're like, wow, that's like, just got better by like a whole year in a month. He just <laughs> leveled up a little bit while you were there? Massively, yeah. Yeah, he yeah, got a little game genie action. <laughs> <laughs> so on that topic then, I think you kind of answered it, but I'd be curious because we talked about this with Scott Sumi uh, on a podcast about how uh, I think he was already was maybe having people helping him out in the studio to mm-hmm. either speed up the process of making paintings or whether it's prepping panels or just because again it's uh, at a certain point you are still an artist uh, by yourself you know uh, making your body of work so then do you see in any capacity you getting more people inside the studio just to help you make work I mean if the demand gets there for yeah. sure I mean that guy everyone's thirsty for Scott's work let's, yep it's gonna pump him out whereas I am very slow these things take lots of time and yeah, we'll see. I mean, there was maybe three months this year where semi-regularly I'd have somebody, you know, assisting on something or doing some sort of, like, design dev or whatever um, on the backside of things. So I think, yeah, this year was a big dip in into that, and mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll happen again, but don't really see it as... Um, not as anywhere near extreme as 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 her boy Scott. Oh, you never know, man. I uh, see it. What do you think? Uh, and I guess, bec- and maybe this is a harder question, but <clears throat> always a fun one. Because you've been on both sides of the the job now. You've been the contractor, or you know, and you've also been in kind of uh, uh, you've employed people, and then you work for mm-hmm. clients. Mm-hmm. So, any big lessons for either from either side or the experiences? guess I mean one thing I'm kind of like retroactively kind of like working on is the the rates in which people are paid in this new new art form that is like muralism mm-hmm. um, and learning how to communicate and rationalize these things to stakeholders and developers and whatnot the festival when we started we, we needed to make as big a splash as possible, so we got this awesome grant. Uh, you know, some of the team members put in a bunch of their own personal money, so they just we just stretched it so we could just base Mount Pleasant in as, as much artwork as, as possible. And I think also, you know, those people who were giving us those grants were expecting that. And as the grant opportunity shrunk over, you know, the two two years after we received that we'd get like a little bit more creative now we're yeah talking with bias and and developers and things and i think um you know that's that's great that a lot of our art friends made that sacrifice or that they you know they they took a lower rate just to you know get our city seen um in the whole muralism movement it's awesome but yeah moving forward like i don't want that ceiling to be there anymore and nor should it you know these are the only people who know how to do that one thing so why are we paying them as a nail pulling laborer like that's Mm -hmm. uh an expectation that needs to be broken as quick as possible so i think a big lesson is I don't know what is the lesson. I'm trying to undo <laughs> numbers that were given out in the past in order to, uh, yeah, make sure artists actually become 
you know, make good money and are not mm-hmm. s- sad about doing this for so long. And I think as the city grows with all these big, massive stakeholders like West Bank or Boza, like yeah. I think people from those like uh, those businesses they need to understand like the dollar value that is truly coming with that so but at the same time doesn't it or it felt to me and i don't know if you feel the same way isn't it easier to like whether it's pitch or sell or get a mural made than a painting made or painting sold mm. but i know what you mean about the is it because you get to show off this big beautiful bow on your building versus like have a big expensive painting in your lobby i guess so it just felt mm-hmm. like especially when you guys did start mural fest and you see you saw more artists getting those projects um and you know naturally i guess the budgets are bigger just because it's a gigantic thing and maybe it's easier to convince buyers or whoever's getting it to pay more because They think it's, you know, bigger and often and it could be the same amount of effort or time, not effort, but, you know, time mm-hmm. to make a... I think it's awesome optics for, for people mm-hmm. in those positions to invest in, for sure. Yeah. But it just feels like in the situations where if someone wants a painting or someone wants a mural, it's more likely that a, a mural may actually happen. I don't know. Or that's maybe that's my perception. You've been pitching a lot, so I don't know. What's There's it? like... I mean, I just had a client... Um, Uh, with with West Bank at Vancouver House, and so they wanted two things. Yeah, and they're like, "This guy knows how to jam on murals. Let's get him to do all these murals in the lobby." And so, you know, one wall definitely made sense for that. The other wall, I was like, "I mean, if you're going to spend all this cash, like, we should probably put it on something just in case, you know, <laughs> like you want to have it yeah. leave and exist somewhere else." So, I think it's sort of. At least when it comes to interiors, I'm generally a little bit more uh, encouraging to have them treated as like as a physical thing. Like, a, oh, what's the dumb word term? Fancy term? Uh, I can't remember. But just having it as more of like a like a long term kind of investment. Whereas you know when you paint, you know, a, a mural or a fresco, like I feel like that might not have the same longevity as mm-hmm. having a big panel yeah. might. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. And so the, in this case with this client, were they cool with it being a painting then? Sorry. Yeah. yeah? yeah? Okay. Oh, yeah. They, they were like, yes, for sure. Yeah, like, yeah. We, we see that this is like an investment. Makes sense. Um, and also, like, it made more sense in the room than doing a mural. Uh, Everyone's like super serious in that building. So like me, <laughs> my hairy armpits and my undershirt, like painting a mural, all these like fancy squintillionaires are like coming in and out and I'm walking all over the concierge and building managers. Like, it's, no, I just want to go in there, slip the big panel and get the hell out. <laughs> Don't people think artists are cool? You know, isn't that the concept that's sold these days? Yeah, yeah. I think so. You're the cool guy. Yeah, but really, like in that in that particular spot, I would be stepping on everyone's toes. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I mean, even with the mural installation there, like uh, in the mail room, there's this big, huge, vertically extruded cross-shaped mailbox, which lent itself forty <laughs> two inches from the wall for me to work off of. Okay. So yeah. already, I felt like I had to paint like I was on a space station everything had its very particular place there was not a single item that shouldn't be there it all had a very specific use for when it needed to be used 
And it proved itself to be, like, kind of a fun challenge for me, actually, to really just, like... I mean, I went from Boza to this. So I yeah, had to, yeah. like, just cook everything down and not step on anyone's toes and really, like, how tight a ship can I actually operate in here? Yeah. Man. I feel like uh, you must be definitely must be a problem solver because sometimes I see you do this thing. It's like the amount of things you have to figure out before you even get to painting. Because mm-hmm. painting is a fun part, especially mm-hmm. when you got the design and you're like, let's yeah. do this, right? Yeah. But the amount of things it seems that you have to solve every time. Yeah, there's a lot for sure. I mean, that was a fun one because um, I went in with an assistant and him and I just planned to project the space. Okay. Um, it's kind of hard to explain, but I have a very fucking bright ass projector and you have to walk through its light to reach the elevator so if you come down the elevator and you're going out the building you're getting blasted (laughs) in the face by this thing and already like everyone's like who are these guys like what are they doing so we had to like pivot and go to uh what you know is um the pounce method on the wall yeah yeah. uh, which i hadn't actually done um on that scale so it was yeah kind of a kind of a cool challenge but i was really looking forward to montreal this year and you know having them facilitate everything for me um unfortunately i've um, found uh, a way to push the production into to may next year Uh, we just had some interesting logistical things uh, pop up at last minute and they're frantically trying to like problem solve every way they possibly can like man they had my back all the way through and we just had to go look we need a bit more time yeah let's postpone this till may we'll still have the grant do you still like us I was like, yeah, <laughs> I like you guys. <laughs> and it like it, it released a bit of steam on my end because i had to wrap the pool and then basically fly there like four days later, do that immediately, come back here, and yeah, move into Be super uh, burnt that out. interior job. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? And then I get to hang out with you and me. So yep, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> it's strange painting something that was designed like a year and a half before. I, I hope they're kind of open to some light edits. Do Do you think you're gonna? Are you likely not to enjoy the design? Does it happen often? <sighs> I mean, I was looking at it the other day, and it's like, there's already things that I would change in it. Okay. So, I think as long as it's like, you know, 90%, 95% of what I've done will be able to capture the same thing. I'm obviously not going to, like, change anything without yeah, asking for yeah. permission. It's not one of those beautiful, uh, do now, ask for permission <laughs> kind, of, kind of deals <laughs> it's too, later. too big to redo. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like a 10-story building, a golden square mile. You just like, yeah, everyone's working so hard collectively to make sure it happens. How often do you look back on your old work and you like it? Um, or how many? More than been? half. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you saw when you came in today, I have to create a... a, a from the very first floral to yeah. today's florals for developing some animation work. And I only... I mean, it was. it's not a, it's not a public document. And I kind of use it as an excuse to really, like, comb through everything. So there's only, I think, one small crappy floral that I didn't include. The rest, I'm like, yeah, I learned that this didn't work, but this did. And then now look at these two other paintings that were birthed from it. So, you know, taking this weird, awkward risk that kind of turned in kind of like a weird, awkward painting actually became sort of the flourishing moment of things that, you know, I did a couple years down the road. Um, I don't know. It's it, The only ones I don't like is if they feel too similar 
but like I said before, I'm really trying not to repeat myself and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, find something new or, you know, take that mark from before and maximize it or minimize it or erase it or, you know, find a mark adjacent to it that feels new. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think I, I hate it. <laughs> but that's impressive. One thing that's always been impressive about you, I think, is that you always knew how to finish work. Like, you'd put a ton of hours into your work. It's, and I think it's got to be why like you push it all the way through which i definitely nice. find it very difficult but you like you put in those hours i think looking back on like the the figurative stuff it was a lot less polished and i think now that i've been doing the same subject matter for so long i'm really trying to figure out like new ways to like enrich all that so i mm. think the older figurative work maybe lacks um you know an extra pass glaze something but what can you do well, actually, let's talk about that because you did. So you started was uh, I think first works that I've seen like collaging and figurative work, and then, uh-huh. hmm? yeah. And over the you are correct. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and over the years, kind of you, it felt like you did as it evolved. You did go more towards abstraction, even within I guess the figurative, and then it feels like because now you're going floral and you're getting to be more playful, uh, you are leaning into abstraction. Seems like even more so. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now looking back on it, do you see how that transition happened, and do you, do you remember when and how? Yeah, it was the winter of twenty sixteen when I painted the walls at the American. Yeah, yeah. So Ezra, who was one of the co-owners of Cobalt, where we started Snag, I did all sorts of you know art consultation parties, all the art things. Was just their art guy, and he acquired this awesome, cool bar across the street. He had seen. Um, uh, some big noc- nocturnal florals as wallpaper. Mm-hmm. He was like, man, wallpaper is really expensive. Like, do you want to kind of maybe think about <laughs> like a solution to this? And so I, I built these or designed these like 11 foot by 11 foot repeating tiles that went across the wall. And it was all also nocturnal, uh, infusing that weird shifting duotone vibe from like a lot of my my previous figurative work and made this cell that kind of looked like a real sexy contemporary like Japanese bar or something it was it was yeah I, I, I love that color palette and as soon as I started I was like oh this is just abstract painting like I don't, yeah. I don't respect these flowers like <laughs> see what we can do with them you know and then, yeah, as soon as I realized like, this was just abstract painting, um, I could just, yeah, front load every trick and tool that I was using to abstract the figurative work um, in, in it as much as I, I, I wanted because I, I didn't have to shy away from, okay, well, if this guy's face is glitched, it must mean X, Y, and Z for him, the other people the tableau and narrative, I, you know, whereas this is just like, nothing was holding me back. Mm-hmm. You know, what's interesting is that I think that's, I don't think we talked about this or I told you this, but although maybe you, you would have seen, but actually this kind of, the, the chase of meaning is something that paralyzed me for a while. Cause when I kind of knew where I was going, it was a powerful tool of like, especially when you get to source your own uh, reference, mm-hmm. because as you know, figurative work certainly can't struggle if you, like, it's just hard to work without this. And especially when part of the execution relies so heavily on it looking, I don't know, figurative and 
potentially accurate. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to, but mm-hmm. but I remember the times when you don't think you have something to say or you can't even fake yourself into saying something. It felt like, oh man, I don't even know what to do. And actually, the, <laughs> I remember you saying that <laughs> and, but years ago. And it's still, but I feel like I maybe I'm went down the dip again a little bit because I feel like even in design work, like uh, commercial work, still need to often explain your decisions. Ideally, you know, a good designer, like mm-hmm. if you made a character, ideally you explain things, but. Mm-hmm. You know, in the end, people see what they want or something. Anyways, I was kind of hard to get out of. So hearing you talk about these constraints and mm-hmm. not having them totally make sense. And I guess it's good <laughs> that you didn't have to go for yeah. a big long dip of <laughs> not knowing what it is. Cool that. And so you knew then to stick with it? Nah, I don't know. But I was you kept still going. kind of painting the odd thing here and there that year. And I'll do a big nasty portrait or two every year now, but... But there's definitely consistency, though, right? as far as subject matter goes, mm-hmm. or at least yeah. lately. Yeah, it became like commercially viable. Like I needed that in my life. Like the figurative thing was like so far and few between that mm-hmm. that was another uh, part of the impetus to can continue doing it. Is that the stuff can go live above somebody's couch for <laughs> fucking finally? <laughs> yeah, people can actually get their work. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. But I think. I've just you really got to think about what's doing new. I think it's so easy to fall into your old tropes, and you know I get encouragement from from a number of um, peers in here where they're like, "Man, this is always new. You know, I've never seen you do this." And mm-hmm. you know, getting that elusive feedback has been really motivating um, mm-hmm. to just yeah continue that search of something new. I actually had a question here written down, Hoffman. You concerned about making something new as a goal in every painting is that i just get bored sorry i just get bored i feel like a mm. hack if i mm. if i just yeah rinse and repeat okay yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. even uh, though you'll see a lot of similar marks the the evolution has been about refinement and experimentation and and really figuring out like the type of tools that you that I enjoy working with. Mm. You look at some of the older abstract work that I was I was putting in, like it was a very cacophonous vocabulary of, of marks and techniques um, that were very experimental and not necessarily like really resonated with each other. So you see this sort of like this filing down and editing of things that like you, you like to see things that you don't like to see. And then make sure that you always have like an, a structure that's open for like, something something new mm-hmm. god i've said something new too many times now <laughs> <laughs> but uh when you're focused so pretentious on... <laughs> it's hard i mean it's it's a definitely a very difficult challenge um uh actually i guess i want to ask it in that sense do you see yourself because you got the technique and now that it leans more abstract do you think about applying all this to uh different subject matter or is this part of like because it's a conscious choice to stick with what you're doing is it is part of it also like keeping it on the brand quotation marks do you think about it that way as in because i think that'll inherently happen yeah. though yeah i mean you'll see my hand in it like oh 100 like, you know my color and yeah. like rendering choices um you know you're familiar with like this the type of abstraction uh, that i like leaning into so i think yeah it'll it'll always be there I'd like to see, you know, some some big crazy portraits, um, murals. I'd like to actually repaint that one in the back, the the the, the black barbed guys from shit four years ago, just over four years ago, and yeah. yeah, play around with some some more portraiture. 
Um, nobody's going to really want it because it's, it'll be aggressive. But, yeah, I think that could be fun. I also, yeah, I mean, when you just do portraiture, too, like, I find it's, like, similar to florals or it's, like, it can easily become an abstract painting very quickly where it's, like, when you start breaking out into, like, bust, full figure, and tableau, that's, like, when I find it can be, like, a little bit more challenging. And, like I said, I don't... I don't think I have all the ideas in that uh, notepad uh, document on my phone that I want to kind of go there just yet. Mm -hmm. I'm sure people are going to want it. It's good. Maybe you've got to be in the right city, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's somehow getting it to the right audience because they exist 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I, and I also think, like, with the floral stuff, I haven't fully gone into, like, the full-blown absurd stuff. Mm -hmm. I was going through old banks of reference uh, batches that I just kind of like tossed knowing that it wasn't really going to fit that client's like interest mm -hmm. but now when I see those I'm like oh these these are brilliant compositions they just like didn't make sense for that time so I think yeah degrading and obscurity I think would be sort of where things are going potentially I'm gonna get sure. a little crazier yeah just weird less you know I think with florals, people want to see what the hell it is, mm -hmm. uh, at least in a commission context. So if you're not showing the viewer, like, oh, it's like a Dahlia or like a whatever, mm -hmm. then it's all about abstraction. But it came to me as sort of like the floral painter that if I stray too far away from that, I think it becomes a little bit more of a risk for them and a risk for me. So I think I'll just have to maybe make a few of those on my own and be like, oh, yeah, this is also a part of the package where... Maybe, maybe there is nothing recognizable about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I like the, the, I, the process of degrading, um, photography into something, um, like absurd and obscure. So I think it could work. <laughs> nice. Um, in that case, how often are you trying to, uh, if at all, you know, talking about that search for story or meaning are you at all trying to put it in that uh, in this work recently or is it mm -hmm. more like are you uh, chasing a feeling uh there's a like bit of a and bit of b but i think you know working with developers especially if they want it to like kind of reflect what they're what they're trying to do as builders so with boza was riffing on um ole sheeran's cantilever buildings for the 1515 development um you know west bank had a ton of stuff in that lobby like i said the ex vertically extruded mailbox all these ledges copper accents tile seams so i was kind of forced to kind of like work within that cons uh, within that context um, big work for uh, Grosvenor, where I used um, like Art Deco as sort of like the deconstructing sort of uh, machine for the the collaging mm -hmm. um, aspects. So I do I I'm, I've kind of figured out the tools that I sort of mm, am drawn towards and with. I like the challenge of these folks being like, it's got to kind of feel like this was a part of it. Mm -hmm. And then I'm able to sort of like cook it in conceptually or aesthetically or both. Nice. Yeah. The Ole one was, was, was a good exercise. Same with art deco. Like I really enjoyed uh, playing with those forms. Cause I think the year before I was using like 
uh, gestural painting as sort of like an aesthetic that was um, uh, deconstructing and used as a method of collaging. These are, these are I, I like these uh, challenges as tasks, especially when you're probably not very likely to do it on your own. I right. think that's where these uh, projects are actually more sometimes beneficial than doing personal work. Hey, I painted a random wall at the American where I am now. Yeah, like, it turned <laughs> out pretty it was sweet. an opportunity that came along. Yeah. Uh, was that the biggest pivot? Or if, I mean, it feels like a pivot. Was that the biggest change or kind of like uh, to your point of view on art? Or was there another, like, or was there something what bigger? Was? Just like your, uh, did your outlook on art change that way? Maybe that was discovery, but it, mm. it maybe a better question is like, uh, when was the last time your like view of kind of art or the field as a whole? Coming had, up with abstract painters. A big change, yeah? Yeah. Mm. Just seeing like how there's a lot bigger market uh, for that type of work. It's less, I mean, ambiguity and just solely focus on aesthetics and their relationship with the other aesthetic objects in a home I think was a major shift for me to just like kind of get off my high horse and stop thinking I'm like you know doing the hard work as an artist and thinking that abstraction was like a little bit more viable uh, commercially and like just way less alienating um, when it came to the commercial viability of my work. So how do you see uh, making art as a creative process now? Is it a vehicle to make something appealing for no it's my taste mm. yeah yeah i like people like it and they want to have it but i'm not really like all the when a composition is resolved digitally it's resolved for me mm -hmm. which makes for not always the most amicable design reviews with clients <laughs> say like eight times out of ten it's like more or less smooth sailing nice. but i've been so emotionally wrapped up into those compositions and they're like this is super punk rock and way too edgy where we need like airy fluffy and like it's red and we asked for whatever yeah well maybe not that extreme i always take color palettes very very seriously but yeah sometimes i'll work with a color palette or like a certain type of uh, flower then just go down this path that feels new and is you know deconstructing the things um deconstructing it the way i think is yeah gonna be cool in the end and then yeah sometimes they're just like no your soul comes through yeah yeah <laughs> are you and uh, i think that's always it can be a tricky thing to chase but it, it sounds like you the process uh, is a very big enjoyable part of it mm -hmm. right or maybe it's become even more so yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, like, the hunt for new silks is always interesting. Really become, like, a silk flower kind of master. Uh, doing, like, an annual buy of those things and, like, having a whole bunch of new gear <laughs> That's uh, at cool. the beginning of the year is, like, kind of exciting. I mean, you've got, like, all this new stuff to try and, like, solve the, the, the problem of uh, digital compositions. Um, I love the photography side of things like it's basically just me listening to music and really like dancing with stalks of silk flowers yeah, yeah. which sounds so corny and lame but like you watch me hold these things like this guy looks absolutely <laughs> insane right now because i'm like twirling it in my hands and i'm kind of like spinning my head around it and then i'm 
you know, manually got a flash here and another flash there. And we're just like, yeah, it's all about play when it comes to the photography side of things. And then, you know, I, you, you do it over and over and over, you're bound to, you know, get a little bit better and maybe you kind of find, um, the, the things that interest you a little bit quicker. Yeah. Cause it does sound like there's almost too many options. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, just having like refined the types of arrows in my quiver and knowing how those kind of fit in a final composition and mm -hmm. where they can go and what opportunities they could bring and invite new things has been, yeah, really exciting. Um, yeah. What was your question? Do I, do I still like doing it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't even know. I should know. I was always thinking about next question. I think it was <laughs> maybe asking about the meaning or something like that. Oh, your your process based. There you go. You enjoy mm -hmm. the process. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> lately it's been yeah. cool to do all this new stuff with Mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I work with Mark Illing, who's uh, a peer at the studio here. He's a 3D animator psychopath and we first uh, collaborated in 2019 on a facade festival we're at the projection map uh, the vancouver art gallery i wrote shot edited a live action yeah. short that was accompanied with i think five uh animated interstitials that kind of like represented the evolving um dynamic between the two characters in there and his sensibilities are so cool to see because, mm. you know, he'll study my work and then he throws it into 3D and then there's this whole new weird crazy thing that happens that often, yeah. like, I'm like, I don't think I could ever resolve a composition quite like you. Like, with this tool, you have mm -hmm. so many things that uh, are not presented to me um, in two-dimensional space. So that was super cool. And then um, but with Boza accompanying... Uh, the sort of VIP event for the pre-sale of 1515 they were giving out infinite objects which are the tangible uh, representation of an NFT they're like a one-time program mm -hmm. that's it um, sort of giveaway and then guests if they want to get into the NFT game they could register them and yeah have them as as uh, yeah crypto art and he made uh, 15 versions of sort of like an animated reveal of the pool and then all these like fly throughs of yeah the it was yeah really really cool very fucking stressful so last minute um yeah didn't, really, even know, didn't even know you guys did that oh but it was so harsh they look beautiful i'm <laughs> stoked to show you yeah. um and then of course this year i bought a 3d printer and mark's been technician and and uh, artist on those so this friday we presented our our first sort of like non-prototype prototype um pieces and yeah jumping into countless warhammer yeah <laughs> mini paint <laughs> tutorials oh my lord yeah. Uh, that's been kind of cool. I don't like the aesthetic of that style of painting, and I find it so easy to just like. I mean, I had I had shot the model under dramatic light, and I was hoping that I could really get this like chiaroscuro, like heavy shadows, yeah, um, high contrast kind of thing. But I just I'm 
way too dumb to figure that out. So you just end up like modeling the edges and like maybe there's some core shadows and like the edges get like a little white kiss and you're kind of like you're rendering it in sort of like omni light. Just it's nothing very like specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a couple obvious like core shadows and, and drop shadows, but like to do something like a little bit more simple like with cool materials and metallics rather than going down this wormhole which is like the never-ending render bender war hammering my work dude it's crazy how it's such a different skill set where it's like you think you know how to paint and you do and then you try to paint a sculpture you're like this is nothing yeah. like yeah. <laughs> well, it's fun though I'm I'm sure, I, it looked really I, cool. i will say that it like it really is cool. never-ending and uh and also it's like our first go at painting these things so i think there's just like also that like um excitement energy cooked in but yeah i was normally i get up and walk around a, a fair like f- fairly frequent when i'm painting a panel but like no I, my ass turned into like <laughs> just a dead cement sitting there for so long so i realized i've been hunched over in this chair for four hours so that's what happens to all the warhammer dudes yeah <laughs> <laughs> i guess that's why people go uh quite simple especially because the shape has so much so many complex details mm-hmm. that if, even if you did like a single color or a gradient mm-hmm. probably also would have been enough but it's a different mm-hmm. look right and it feels like for the look that you went you either go full on like you did yeah. i feel like the halfway doesn't work right like yeah. the fact that you painted uh i guess it would be like your yeah, local colors and how you mm-hmm. created some like i guess extra shadows or whatever mm-hmm. occlusion shadows there's a little bit of that yeah and you've got to keep in mind, like, this model is not designed to be painted like a Warhammer model. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Warhammer model is, like, tubes and cylinders and squares all jammed on top of this <laughs> yeah. rocky orc body. But, like, this is just, like, twisted, glitched out, overlapping, hollow root systems. Like, it's not designed to be painted the way that we're doing it. So Pretty amazing, man. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, when was the last time you were lost? Physically? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's an easy question. <laughs> oh, when was I? When did I spaz the most? Because that's, that's going to involve that's the, being lost. Um, the fact that you don't remember on the top of your head, off the top of your head, is really good, actually. I think. <laughs> I guess you're always too busy to be lost. Lost? I don't know. I've made a lot of dumb mistakes and have put too much on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I got very mad this summer and smashed a mop bucket through a wall and <laughs> speared the mop into another room, <laughs> screaming the c word. That's pretty cool. That's yeah, it was so cool. <laughs> yeah. It's like, man, this guy's really got his You're shit together. You're a real artist at that <laughs> point. Yeah. Um, sometimes I feel lost in the uh, like the directorial side of things when you're working with a team. Um, I look and sound like a total asshole. And I'm always worried that that is how people are sort of interpreting my leadership style. But I'm just monotone and I don't like, you know, (laughs) giving a lot of like inflection to my voice unless I have to. So I think there's there's been a couple points leadership wise over the last year and a bit 
um, with a couple individuals where I was like, I think I'm, I think I might be crazy or I think they might be misinterpreting like, Mm. you know, my communication style or like my needs. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm an artist. I want people to like me. I'm soft (laughs) and nervous all the time. So yeah, I think it gets, it can get a little murky when working with people. Um, it's certainly a skill that's got to be practiced like everything else, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, uh, sometimes you think like, yeah, I talk to people, but it's like, nope, that's, yeah. that's not the same. But uh, and I can also like be way too much of a people pleaser sometimes where I'll mm-hmm. let, um, bad behavior go or like bad, um, execution go just because I, I can't at that time emotionally deal with the, the conflict that may or may not arise from it. Mm-hmm which can be kind of a detriment to a project if you kind of continue that, that style of leadership. Um, nothing went terribly awry on, on a few things, but it definitely keeps me up at night and confused if I'm being a good kitty or a bad kitty. <laughs> yeah, but the fact but I mean, that was actually a very good answer. But the fact that you're not lost as far as it comes to what to do in this big mad art world or mm. what to pursue like a generally the picture is very clear yeah felt really unclear today though i don't really? know <sighs> just just one of those days it was i was am i an imposter like what is next year oh, well, but that's common really look like <laughs> i mean like i said my my inbox is the lottery so you know because i'm 40 percent booked is great but am i just going to stay 40 percent booked am i going to have like you know, some big random milestones that, you know, I, I got to see this year or were close to experiencing this year. But the 40%, did they come to you or you went to get them? Uh, they came to me, yeah. So, I mean, the fact that you haven't even looked and you got 40%, you're fine. Well, it's not exactly like work. The, the type of work that I do is not something you just like go and find. Why not? Because it's weird. And I don't know if like that's how that works. I mean, I don't know how how well it works, but there's definitely websites for, you know, the city of Denver is looking to get its city hall painted with something mm-hmm. badass and futuristic mm-hmm. and contemporary, alternative contemporary. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's those things. Of course, you know, probably too much work to pursue too many of those because you never know where they land. But mm-hmm. I mean, cities look for them and not every city has someone. Yeah. Fitting. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it could be a thing. I find, like, some of those public art calls are, like, they seem like they have good numbers at the beginning, but then when you start mm-hmm. being, like, okay, well, all these lifts, and, like, <laughs> I actually need three people instead of one, and the surface is crazy, so, like, you know, what a, you're looking at a $25,000 budget and really should be, like, 50-plus on, on something. Uh, but maybe that's just because I have this annoying, meticulous style that... I, I don't know, man. I, I, I feel like, especially now that we're all global, there's got to be big budgets out there. I uh, Especially because you, you see... You I'm not saying there's not. I just haven't found them. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, I completely understand. It just feels or like... looking. Yeah. You know, you could, at this point, could pop up anywhere and do the coolest <laughs> thing. I guess it's just the hard part. Yeah. I feel like the artist world, it is... And maybe it's always been so. Because there's so many people, there is a lot of niche, little... I just like the other day I discovered this uh, Italian sculptor on Instagram and he does like sculptures like you know they would have been made whatever like a thousand years ago no mm-hmm. I guess it would be less like 700 years ago or whatever but you know never would have heard of the guy he's got you know millions of followers and 
And it just makes you wonder how many of those people there are out there, but also mm-hmm. how many projects there are out there for those people to, you mm-hmm. know, to do and be, get paid. And the world is big, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a positive thinking. Oh, that, that's us being positive. It's very, very easy to think the other way too. Um, how, how does art fit in your? Uh, how do you see art fitting in your life this many years? Sometimes, and you know, me asking these questions, and this is a personal thing, sometimes I almost expect it to be bigger than what it is. Mm. Uh, like uh, the romantic, romanticizing the art as it is. But how do you, how do you, when you look at it, because you know, you could say that it's a job, but how do you, how else do you see it or do you see it differently? Uh, another extension of me, like I've always fantasized as like a young kid to have like a hobby that I can fester away in like a dank dirty garage and build strange things and that's what I did as a kid and so I think this is definitely an extension of just like having a lifestyle where I can just like be alone and whittle away at something by myself and refine and refine and refine and have a cool excuse for having this awesome clubhouse as our studio <laughs> how, how early did you know that oh Maybe eight, nine. Dude, that's amazing. See, no wonder you're not lost in what you're doing. That's that's the fact that you had that feeling. I'll have to think about it for myself. The fact that you had that feeling that this is kind of right. Mm-hmm. This is because you made it. I mean, you're making it happen. You made. Well, it I happen. mean, you must have done it as a kid. You're like, I got nothing to do. I will just go sit at this desk and get you, lost in a world that I'm drawing. Yeah, but you're. I, maybe I have an answer. I haven't thought of. But the fact that you're able to clearly vocalize it as like a. I remember. I was mm-hmm. this is the fact that you can answer so easily to this makes sense for me because I kind of knew mm-hmm. all along. That's pretty sweet. That's pretty special. I also had a dad who was a, f- a freelance programmer, so like, <laughs> yeah, festering away at a table is something that I'm, uh, yeah, not not familiar with in a very deep way. <laughs> uh, it's just hard to summarize, and then so. Um, it, it, in that way, since you are kind of you're pursuing these things that you, you I mean, you've thought about, uh, are you like? Can you see how much meaning that gives to your life? Uh, as in, you know, if you no, do, but so then, could you imagine your life without doing this? Um, I couldn't imagine my life without doing something. So, so but it doesn't like, have to be. It probably would have to be creative though. Mm, it could be like mechanical. Like I was gonna go to work as. Uh, like a machinist for the Navy back in my teens. Yeah. That would be a cool thing. Like, mm-hmm. I, I love problem solving and working with my hands. You do like problem solving. I do. Yeah, I'm the making them, that. but... <laughs> um, yeah, what was your question? <laughs> Just, like, how, how much... Can you see how much meaning it gives your life? Or if you could do... Because then, I mean, the follow-up to it is, like, can you do... Have your life without art? And the fact that you say potentially yes... That's pretty fascinating. <laughs> well, because you put so much work into it, and yet you could do without. Yeah, but then I'd go and like build a drift car, or like yeah, but it that's, would be something like that. Is it? I think that's different. You just but so that the that could be a like, work of art. Oh, 100%, But the fact that you you just like to make things because you know some people just like they want to make art, they want to make a painting, and then just but you. Mm. I mean, dude, to, that, to be real though, like I mean. I have been staying on this path of subject matter because I want that to be like 
a big part of my creative identity. Like I, I couldn't just walk away from that. I'm trying to work on something where it's not just painting small scale, massive scale, but now transitioning into, you know, collaborating with animation and sculpture just to make sure that like this thing that I've been doing remains mine. Yeah. Makes sense. I, uh... maybe that was a flippant answer no. from me. <laughs> I think it was real. I, mm. The fact that you didn't have to think about it came from my heart. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, but now I feel like I'm backpedaling. <laughs> <laughs> like, actually, art gives me a lot. Yeah, I don't know. Bec- uh, kind of just to... Uh, it gives me an identity. Yeah. You know, same. I think... And you probably experienced this, like, in high school and middle school. It's totally. Like, yeah, yeah. You want to you wanna be the kid who's drawing at the table at lunch. You know, you want to be the art kid. You want You want people to see you as something that's... Not just some dorky, pimpled-faced kid. Like, I wanted to yeah, be the kid who drew the trippy, psychedelic things. Uh, totally. You know, something that nobody else could do. So, yeah. I, do, you, do you miss anything from those times? Yes. Uh, illustrating. Because I never got... <laughs> never got good at it. <laughs> you... I mean, what? How? what's different about, like... What is in your mind illustration? Imaginative. You know, like I build the things that I paint, but I don't uh, necessarily have the skills to produce that kind of imagery on my own without, you know, all the tools and references and fancy cameras and Photoshop skills. And You definitely can, and I think you will. But also, I don't think everyone just gets it out of their head anyways. Mm-hmm. There's only rare freaks like Kim Jong-gi or who... Yeah. The, but... Yeah, so I think there was, you know, a couple of years where I was just doing pen and inks out of my head that it was, like, really, really satisfying. Um, but I quickly fell in love with, like, oil painting. Yeah. Yeah, after painting that famous Playboy butt on my friend Eric Morrison's mom's dining room <laughs> table one night. And I could not go back to the ink, unfortunately. <laughs> it hasn't been the same ever since. Uh-uh. Yeah. Man. I haven't touched that stuff for a while. Maybe, maybe there'll be a point. Everything will unite and it'll make sense. I tried it. I tried it on that humongous 20 foot panel that was in here. Yeah. And recoiled immediately. <laughs> like, I must have put like 10 minutes down and then just took it all up with a rag. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's not meant to be. Or you gotta not push on it. That, you gotta or... But also, I think you have very high expectations of yourself. It shows in your work and how far you push it, so I can see why if this thing didn't turn out as good as you thought it would be, you just kind of like, nope, <laughs> we're down here. Yeah, acrylics can be such a stupid struggle sometimes. Yeah. I just wanted like that blendiness, and I think with that piece, I really forced myself to kind of paint like oils mm-hmm. with acrylics, but even when I got there, it like, wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. Like I needed something. So it went, and then I was, you know, putting just such... Uh, calcium carbonate rich sloppy highlights on things like mm-hmm. still didn't quite get there but then I then I started playing with water-based aerosols on my biggest commission ever yeah. just to kind of like is this a thing and yeah fortunately it, it kind of worked out but it's why do you want yeah do you wonder how much the tool does or doesn't matter as not if you if you're forced to probably figure it out mm-hmm. I guess the question is would you like to would I like to be an oil painter? Would you again? like to do it in like a like you're talking about some medium suck and you're like nope I'm kind of I'm out of here mm-hmm. right yeah I mean if it works it works yeah 
But you wouldn't, uh, yeah. I, mean, I guess there's no question. I just, if, as in like, though, I'm sure if you really had to spend the time on something, probably make it happen. Oh, yeah. I'll fight yeah. my way out of a corner yeah. if I have to, but yeah, sometimes the patience isn't there or it just doesn't feel like the right mm-hmm. fit. Yeah. Okay, we're getting, unfortunately, close to time, but uh, I got a couple more for you there. Sounds th- good. Throw uh, at you pretty quickly. There's definitely a lot of questions. Uh, <laughs> I, I you did know. such a great job I, on all these games. I, I didn't know. I'm actually, I'm really surprised by the fact that you said you could live, live life doing other things other than art. Yeah, but my identity would have to be wrapped up into it. My yeah, hands yeah. need to be involved and it. it needs to be creative. So maybe so, this, maybe this <laughs> sculpture, th- well, no, that's still art. I mean, yeah, I get that. I just, I wonder about this sometimes because I feel like there's freedom in realizing that um, you don't need it as much because you're right, uh, you know, for a lot of us, it probably does come from uh, getting an identity from high school and feeling like you have a spot in society because it's just like that's what humans do that's you know everyone needs a job which is why i think maybe i said that too flippantly because i'm just (laughs) like this is i live no but it's but it's cool work it yeah it's just if you don't need it and if you don't if it's not as big part of your identity i think it's easier to go in and out of it because sometimes for example like uh sometimes a full-time work for me is not enough and i feel like in order to uh, feel like I'm satisfying my own creative drives or something like that, something about self. I need to do this extra work. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also freedom, and I, I think I've been getting better at it, and I always wonder if it's good or bad. But there's freedom in saying, like, I'm good, like, I'm doing it quite a bit anyways. Do I need to push it for myself because it means something to me so much? Because then you see artists who, mm-hmm. like, uh, who who even just, like, realize that it's a job, whether they're do- a solo artist or not, and they just, you know, do it and it's done but it sometimes it feels like there's almost a little too much detachment which is probably healthier but from an artistic perspective from mm-hmm. an artist you're like man kind of wish it meant more to you mm-hmm. and i'm not talking about you i'm just talking about like artists where i've seen because uh, it's not the case with you but mm-hmm. more just like so separated mm-hmm. and maybe it's just healthy and that's mm-hmm. where someone treats it like a trade and doesn't let it treat you badly because you don't care mm-hmm. or care just enough yeah i think because uh, i i want to go into engineering and building things yeah and i think it was just like that ingenuitive kind of spirit and like i always wanted to invent something yeah so something creative totally see for sure yeah no i get that see. and something that pets my dumb little <laughs> baby brain ego at the end of the day you're like oh he's the only one who can do yeah. it da, 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 da. i get that i think i would probably be uh be in uh like producing music i think that would be fun mm-hmm. so I, I guess maybe i'm not attached to visual art but mm-hmm. same i guess some same answer um where do you go for inspiration these days uh, <laughs> i mean we have this dumb little tablet in our pockets like all the time <laughs> like i think there i guess like it's you get just body slammed once yeah. in a while on there so i don't know I, yeah, I guess online, mm-hmm. um, but I'm, I can be a little timid about it as well, just because there's so many badass peeps out there that I may not always follow my, my favorites just because I'll start poaching things or mm-hmm. it'll like kind of fuck me up and make me wonder about my life decisions. I get that. But yeah, you can just accidentally stumble on something and it's like just totally like sent you off in another direction i saw a piece the other day and i was like 
Oh, that's a really nice color placement composition. Yeah. I, I think I could steal that. <laughs> I mean, that's what artists do. Yeah. I think the hard part is not not to be swayed into so well for me in so many directions because on this little tablet thing, you got the best of the best mm-hmm. in every in every kind of genre and little. That's ah, tough. Yeah. I like finding things that like are maybe not immediately like within the realm of like floral painting or or like representational abstraction. It's probably better to stay away from that stuff, make your own. Yeah, I think it's like a lot more authentic and uh but you know what, if it does come from those peeps, you should talk about that. Yeah. 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 Cause I don't know, I've seen all sorts of artists just become this other artist that everyone already knew about because I don't know why I never talk about it and it's really uncomfortable to think about being you know such like an early adopter or somebody who's like way ahead of the zeitgeist and maybe not represented with the amount of followers that they get and mm. somebody else comes along and what can you do and markets themselves better or in the right position to be noticed by the right people better to make mm-hmm. it look like they're just yeah. super sexy and have like sick butts yeah and that probably do not good. hesitate to uh <laughs> you know showcase those those qualities while they paint paintings yeah yes. <laughs> there's those artists too uh we're not gonna go there uh what artists must everyone know about or a couple if you want I know that Jeff Simpson guy's been posting some nice stuff this week. Oof, yeah. Um, who do we gotta know about? Mm. God, that's so tough, man. <laughs> who do you gotta know about? Yeah, I think murals, like Tell Me O'Meal's doing a really great job. Um, super jealous of, like, the having a team just being like the left hand and they're the right hand like seems yeah. so cool and their yeah. execution's really great um oh i know frank what's her name oh laura frank yeah i'm gonna grab my phone yeah i got it <laughs> we're gonna do this zoe like- frank zoe frank yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. that that was really disturbing to see her work that because uh, like uh, when I guess if you maybe if you had to describe it a figurative um, super complex pattern heavy I mean uh, we were talking about how it's sort of like the thousand times matured version of like my older pattern work but she cooks an abstraction and geometry in such an authentic way where it doesn't feel forced whatsoever but it, it, it enhances the overall structure of the piece without breaking everything apart and being too distracting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I think can be kind of a detriment when you are working with uh, geometry and abstraction in, in figurative work. Like, they can often, like, compete, whereas, like, Zoe's work is just cooked right into it. I've purposely not looked at it for 10 months. Ooh, it's crazy. Because the, the depth that she gets, but you're right, somehow those geometric things fit... And one thing I'd be curious to see from her is her compositions, right? Because mm-hmm. you do some cool stuff when it comes to prep for work, prepping mm-hmm. an image. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I think she's the the nastiest figurative painter I've seen in some time. And I feel like she's the first person who I've seen, and I'm sure people do it, I've just seen her do it, is like grab a gigantic ruler, put it on a canvas, and you paint a line just so you get the most, like it's not tape, you mm-hmm. use a ruler to get perfect mm-hmm. lines. There's something about it because it allows for a little bit of an uneven edge, even yeah. though it's perfectly flat. Mm-hmm. Anyways... 
tricks, but yeah. <laughs> Use this crazy neon lights too. Like, don't look. I can't. I won't. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's too much for me. Uh, nice. Uh, a piece of art. Well, actually, no, maybe it's the same question, but a piece of art that had a huge impact on you early on. Hmm. Was it Jason Thielk? Uh, who was the other guy? Charlie Eso, Jabo Monk. Yeah. They're all kind of like funky, abstract, figurative dudes. I think Jabo was a huge one when I was younger. Maybe, yeah, 2011 to 2014 was like really hard to just not paint Jabo stuff. Yeah. Because that guy is just, he puts something on the canvas and then puts another thing, and it's just this like big, funny, confusing, syncopated orchestra that somehow resolves itself into uh, yeah, something that is really well composed and doesn't fly off the panel and looks like expensive as hell. Yeah. <laughs> something, what, what is it about? Is it because it's kind of abstract and a little dark and classy? That, and I think it's, like, a really cool contemporary take on, like, neo-postmodernism with, like, a heavy lean on figurative work. Yeah. When did you see Phil Hale for the first time? Oh, that would be an art school or something, I mean. That must have been big, no? It was pretty big. Yeah? Not yeah. as big as this guy? Um... Well, I think when I, dis when I started looking at J-Bo's work... I had kind of already like been exposed to a lot of things it's mm. like but Phil always just seemed like his work was around always uh it's like James Jean right always around like James Jean was yeah I, I don't know I was more of a Hanukkah fan than a mm. than a James Jean fan um just because it was grittier yeah. I love the cell shading style that he has yeah yeah, those. I really wanted to be Tomer. If I didn't get my show in, oh, fuck, what year was that? Twenty ten at Aiden with Ben Tour and Jose Rivas. I was working with an Illo mentor, Jeff Burgess, that year. And if that excuse or deadline wasn't around, I would have guaranteed gone the route of, um, yeah, line work and figurative cell shading and working from imagination. Life's long, dude. I know. We'll see. I'm curious. That is going to happen one day. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be at that art show. Um, nice. And the last one, uh, what advice do you wish you got before you went to post-secondary? Or university, I guess. Kind of cap. Well, don't let people talk you out of post-secondary. Yeah? There, it works for some people, but for me, it, it worked a thousand percent. I left mm -hmm. bitter towards the whole program. Just because it was so stretched, mm. um, you have a figurative class, then you have fucking HTML class. It's just like you're all over the place. Mm -hmm. But I graduated very stubborn. I spent my last semester there just doing like gallery shows and some private commissions, and just put all my eggs in that basket. But I left that school with a quiver full of skill sets that I didn't really actually know that I had truly learned up until I started, you know, doing these events and uh, producing art shows and jumping into like, you know, sculptural pieces with builders. Like that's when I really saw that all these things were, were, were in me and I wouldn't 
I wouldn't be who I am today at all without having um, such like a broad level of study. Um, Andrew Loomis. Yeah. Yeah. Why did nobody give me Andrew Loomis in art school or leading up to art school? Like, yeah. I did, I also didn't go to like an animation program where I I, I would assume and hope for fuck's sakes that you're given drawing the head and hand like before you even arrive there. Um, James Gurney, Color and Light. Those yeah. those two books sure um, should be in like every Elo and animation. Um, curriculum anywhere. Uh, don't be afraid to emulate, copy. I always told people to choose three to five artists that you mm -hmm. really, truly love and are unabashedly willing to kind of copy and learn from. That's a good one. Um, yeah. Ian Francis would be one of those guys for me. Mm -hmm. But funnily enough, like, Shepard Fairey would be probably in there, too, just, like, with, you know, the whole movement of street art. Um, Effective and powerful. Yeah. Yeah, and I just, I liked how he could, like, reveal it, um, reveal the pattern in ways that became mm -hmm. a little bit more descriptive rather than, like, ornamental. Mm -hmm. And with Ian, he just makes a mess. Yeah, a lot. And then refines it and just beats it down and then refines it and beats it down. So I, I really like the idea of, like, how can I have these, like, pattern and disruptive moments become refined into something that was, like, a little bit more representational <clears throat> and recognizable? And then you throw in Charlie Iso, who was doing really, like, grimy mark-making. And then you've got slowly J-Bo Monk. Um, yeah, those were, like, some of my guys through school. And, nice. You know, I think after the first handful of, like, collage figurative pieces, I, I, I found an arena where I didn't have to, like, look to guys like that. I, I kind of had some decent building blocks that I was comfortable um, keeping my head in the sand like an ostrich and not... It's know, pretty huge, though, knowing when not to look. That's hard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I get jealous so easy. So, mm. like, it was just because I'm... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Still worked. I mean, you're talking about the... I Clearly, uh, with the times, the years I knew you, I feel like the graphic design background that you got, it's, man, it, it's so big. And I that's yeah. one thing I you know, tried to pick up things, but definitely could use a lot. I just, because I feel like that stuff teaches you composition as much as it does, you know, working with fonts and mm -hmm. because so much that goes into it that is so easily applicable, it's like animation would, but in different ways. But there's so much to draw upon mm -hmm. for visual art. It's huge, yeah. man. Yeah, and I think, like, the, the design was fun because I, I left just so petty and spiteful towards a couple of profs at school who... Like, you have to obey these rules, but they never really let me break the rules. And I never really found design to be fun. I just kept on being told no, these aren't obeying certain things. Mm. And then when I started doing the snag posters, it was like, fuck all that. Like, design could be just as fun and fine arty as painting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and fine art can be. So it was a nice change of headspace then where mm -hmm. I could work. Um, graphically and do the figurative thing and then eventually yeah down the road like those two things became very much like 
intertwined and uh, uh, reliant on one another. Works so well, man. Actually, I still hope you do something of a little book with all those, but that's for <laughs> that's for another podcast we'll do when you're in Montreal. One day when I need a crazy Kickstarter for yeah. something cool. <laughs> Drew, thanks so much, man. Thank you so much. Love so you, bud. So good. Love you, too. How can people find you? I am on Instagram at DrewStuff, D-R-E-W Stuff. I have a mostly up-to-date portfolio at dyoung.ca uh, with the exclusion of some of the crazy summer things because I'm just starting to cool down. Uh, you can find my personal page on Facebook and see me post weird uh, memes and dumb videos. And then I also have a <laughs> Drew Young identity uh, on Facebook as well. Beautiful. Yep. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. What a good chat. All right, people. Thanks so much for listening. This is a, a bit of a longer one, but a very good one. So I'm so happy I got to do it. Um, I'm off to the East Coast. So, But I'm I'm happy to report that I, I think I'm getting back into the art and being a little bit less lost <laughs> what we're talking about so i'm hoping to do this a little bit more often again uh, i like that it doesn't have to be a must so dips and uh, a couple of dives but we're looking forward to it so thanks for listening and uh, talk to you soon bye-bye bye-bye Oh, uh-huh.